It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today's episode might be best titled, A Family Affair. We will have the honor and the pleasure of engaging in a conversation about a recently released exquisite project, Charles McPherson's Jazz Dance Suites. This iconic jazz saxophonist was inspired by his daughter Camille McPherson, who is a soloist and principal with the prestigious San Diego Ballet, and the effort was complemented by Charles's wife, Lynn Sunford McPherson, who is his manager, promoter, and agent, and who also co-wrote two pieces on this beautiful recording. We begin the discussion about this by welcoming Charles and Camille McPherson. Hello. 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 Thank you so much for having us. Well, it's our uh, pleasure and honor to have both of you here to speak to us about this release. And I'm I'm sure our listeners will appreciate the opportunity uh, when they finally get a chance to hear this recording, which is one that came out September 25th. Thank you both for joining us here today. Well, thank you for having us. You know, I I would really like to start out, even though, Charles, there's so much to talk about with you and your incredible history and experience. You are a giant in the jazz world. You've played with some of the best. You've been one of the premier band leaders yourself. You've also had a dozen or so years with an association with Charles Mingus and, and so many other things to your credit. But I'd like to start talking about this latest release, which again is called Jazz Dance Suites. And I'd like to ask Camille, if I may, the inspiration behind this particular release. You were recently interviewed and the interviewer said, who would you like most to share the stage with? And your answer was that growing up, you had always dreamed of sharing the stage with your father. And now here you are sharing the stage with your father. Tell us about that and the inspiration behind this recording. So I, I started ballet when I was three. I believe I just saw it on TV and, and pointed to the screen and said, I want to do that. And, you know, my parents being obviously supporters of the arts, they took me to ballet lessons and I was passionate about it right away. My dad was often the one to drive me and would sit in the car and, and wait for hours while I danced. I aspired to be a professional ballet dancer from a very, very young age. And I think for a lot of kids, maybe that fades with time. And and I just got more and more passionate about it as I got older. And I recognized growing up that I had this jazz giant of a father. Um, I think that registered relatively early, you know, being famous in the jazz world is obviously different than being a Hollywood movie star because you don't always get recognized going out, but sometimes he would. And I could see when I watched him perform that, you know, he was a big deal. And I think in my young little brain, I think I understood that the music he was playing was spectacular, even, even though I was obviously not able to understand it like I do now, but I think I recognized it as, as valuable even then. Was it you, Camille, that asked your dad to uh, do something that would be dance-focused in the way of a release? Or Charles, was it you who said, you know what, Camille, 
I've been with you at your side through all these years from age three until now. And I found myself involved not only uh, as a parent, but then you became involved as a composer for the ballet company as well. So who asked whom? You know, there's another third party in this, and that's Lynn, mommy and wife. So basically, you know, she's, she's so much a part of how all this happened. And then the San Diego Ballet, we did do a grant together. Javier Velasco, the uh, choreographer, and myself, we collaborated with a grant and and satisfied all of the uh, conditions. This is what started my involvement with the company. And of course, Camille dances with that company. But Lynn was basically, she's the one who really uh, got all of the grant mechanics done. She was uh, very much a part of making all this happen. I just kind of, you know, went with the with the flow. I had written a couple compositions anyway. I've always thought about writing tunes for Camille. You know, I wrote a tune called Marionette, which is one of the tunes on the CD. That was written when she was quite young. And I did have, it was, a puppet was the inspiration of this, a little marionette that she had. I I wanted the sound of the tune to pretty much be what marionettes look like when they move, this jumpy movement. And uh, I wrote that when she was young and and it was for, I was thinking about her and dancing, her dancing with that. Another tune called Nightfall, which is also one of the compositions. I wrote for her with with her in mind as well. So I've I've always had her in mind, but in terms of really formalizing and and solidifying and and you know Lynn was very much responsible for that. And of course the grant that we uh, myself and the San Diego Ballet participated in that that really made things happen. From that I became the resident composer and. I've written at least three suites for them and two medleys. I, I'd like to add something to that if, if I can. Sure. Yeah, so I think I'm, I'm reflecting now on the timeline of it all. And I think it, it really was, it was for sure a process that I think took a few years to fully become what it is now. When I first got my job with San Diego Ballet, I was 19 
And, you know, I, I was very obviously young and, and inexperienced. And when I got hired, my boss, who is an extremely eclectic choreographer, he uses all kinds of music. He derives inspiration from all sorts of other dance forms. He's not super strictly classical. However, we weren't really doing jazz jazz work at that time when I first got hired but he actually didn't know that I was connected to this great musical family I just got the job and you know at that point also being a 19 year old who is just thrilled to be working professionally in ballet period I obviously had no control over what was being choreographed and how I was being used I would never have then, okay, dad, now you know, you're, you're writing for the ballet now. Of course, it wouldn't happen like that. I think a lot of this is luck, and not just luck, but I think after maybe a year or so, or maybe midway through the year, Javier, my boss, learned who my father was. And, and I remember him kind of planting the seed, if I'm not getting this uh, incorrectly, but I believe he said at one point they met, oh, you know, if you ever want to write something for us, and I think my dad probably, oh, yeah, okay. Um, and then I think from there, my mom probably was the one that was like, did he say that? Yes. Yes, you want to write for them. But again, I think that it was a process and it took time. And I believe Marianette, as my dad had mentioned, had been written many, many years ago. Nightfall, I think, was written when I was maybe 18 or so. And I think my dad had the idea that maybe it would be a pas de deux, which is a dance for two. But at that time, I wasn't even dancing professionally. In fact, I think I was actually really injured. <laughs> so it was kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, an, an idea that we were all hoping could be realized someday, but it didn't happen instantly. And I kind of think that that timeline makes it all the more special for all three of us because it wasn't something that could be realized right away. So we all had time to kind of anticipate how special it could be. So then when we did finally make it happen um, really meant something to all three of us. And also, you know, I had written The Nightfall, as Camille just said, before I was involved with the uh, ballet company, but I had written just a basic melody. After I did get involved, you know, officially with the, with the uh, company, it was Lynn's idea for me to write another part other than the melody with uh, Nightfall because she was going to do, uh, what do you call it, pas de deux? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, which means, of course, two people dancing, a duet. And uh, so I did write another part uh, for that. And that, that came about later because it, this tune was originally written just with maybe her and mine. So that's... Um, that's interesting how that happened because I wouldn't have written two part, you know, like a complementary part. I would have just written a basic melody, but it worked out well. And I gave the, the counter melody to the trumpet player, and that's how you got the contrapuntal um, interaction between on this tune, you know, this composition. Well, when you were putting this together, the assembly or the process uh, for putting this recording together, it's my understanding, first of all, that the album is broken down into three different suites the third one of which is the uh, sweet synergy suite was that written long before the album itself yes uh, yeah yeah that's actually the first suite we did and then there was a suite called um, 
Reflection, uh, Turmoil, and Hope. That was another suite altogether. And then the last suite is a Song of Songs. That's, that's the later one. So they they came in that particular order then. In that order, yeah. And you know, on the on the CD, reflection uh, is entitled "Reflection on an Election," and that's my response to um, Donald Trump getting elected elected in 2016. So that's part of uh, another suite altogether. But for the record date, we just use that one one aspect of the composition, "Reflection on an Election," and that's sandwiched between the first suite, which is Sweet Synergy, then Reflection on an Election in the middle, and then Song of Songs. That's the sequence of the timeline. But on the CD, Song of Songs is first. So let me be clear, I'm kind of being... No, no, no. It it makes sense. Song of Songs, even though that was the last uh, suite I wrote for this company, but on the CD, it is presented first with Reflection on an Election uh, right in the middle, and then sweet synergy, sweet. So, I and I didn't mean to uh, confuse the uh, timeline uh, issue here because uh, of the way that it falls on the release itself, uh, as you said, Charles, yes. that it's Song yes. of Songs first, then yes. Reflection on the Election, finally the uh, sweet uh, synergy suite in that particular order. So, uh, Camille, let me ask you, as this recording or project started coming to life, did the two of you collaborate in terms of your dad's playing the music and your conceptualizing uh, movement or dance? No, not at all, because I actually have nothing to do with the choreography. <laughs> My position in San Diego Ballet, you know, I'm a dancer. Javier Velasco is the artistic director and the choreographer. So he and my dad worked very well together just as though he was not my father and then i was just part of the process basically after the music was done after he and javier had um i suppose put the tunes in the order and and finalized that side of it and then i was used as a dancer so um you know i I have a lot less agency (laughs) um than either the two of them i just you know, I, I'm told what to do and then I do it. But I do, um, obviously, you know, I, I have artistic license in my interpretations to an extent. So there's that. And one nice thing about having your dad on stage performing, sometimes when we dance with live music, there's a little bit of a back and forth between the dancers and the musicians in regards to tempos. And obviously, if I just say, oh, daddy, can you make it a little slower? Okay, baby. You know, he's like very receptive, whereas that's not always the case (laughs) with the musicians. (laughs) And that's kind of what I meant by asking that question. Is there a point where you may have offered input to your dad by saying, you know, I can't really move to this particular piece or the way that it's being unfolded or presented? No, I didn't. Sorry. No, no. But I I don't think that, uh, Charles, you would have been offended had she said something like that, because I'm sure you have a vested interest in her as a dancer and and what she expresses in her performances. Oh, no, I wouldn't have any issue with that, because basically this this is uh, music written for them. It's written for, for the dancers. So um, when I, I mean, me even conceiving the compositions, 
they're, they're foremost in my mind. That's giving me the choices of notes and phrasing that I'm using. Them in mind is giving me what particular chord to use here as opposed to some other chord. Uh, so everything about them uh, is influencing how I'm thinking about the composition, the chords, the phrasing, the form and structure. And so uh, whether it be Camille offering a suggestion or the choreographer Javier, uh, when they say this is a hair bit little you know, fast or we need it a little more faster or whatever, then of course I'm, I'm open for that. And there's nothing that they are gonna suggest. Well, I'm at their, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing what they want, whatever. The whole concept is me doing what they want. And then for me to try to have my way, you know, as much artistic license and stuff. Um, but I, I'm thinking about your question. You know, I think even if I had felt as though I could have given input, I don't think that I would have. I mean, I know I, I hear the final product of the music. I don't think I ever would have. It wouldn't have even crossed my mind that I would need to. I mean, I've grown up listening to listening to my dad's music, and um, I've danced to music that I, I haven't particularly cared for. Um, it doesn't happen too often because I usually really like what my boss selects, but. Um, I feel like my dad has such a strong sense of melodicism and I feel like his harmonic changes are so uh, rich and interesting. And and then, you know, there's the rhythmic component too. So, I mean, what more can a dancer really ask for, right? I mean, there, there's, I would never have expected him to write something that wasn't movable. You know, I know what his writing is like and it, I think any of any of his previous pieces that weren't written specifically for dance could easily be choreographed to. Well, this is an interesting direction for jazz uh, because, Charles, as you well know, uh, jazz music is rooted in dance music. It started yeah. out that way through the swing yeah. era, etc., and then bebop came along, and a lot mm. of that changed. Uh, the whole complexity of the music changed, uh, yeah. or the flavor of the music. I, I wouldn't say complexity is probably not the right word, but the the music changed and then improvisation moved into the picture a lot mm -hmm. of melody disappeared at certain stages uh, within jazz and mm -hmm. now it seems to be coming maybe if this is a, a bad characterization let me know but it seems like maybe you're now coming full circle back to dance inspired music for jazz mm -hmm. Well, uh, that might be true, and you you are right. Uh, the early beginnings of jazz, uh, and probably all music, always involved people dancing, because music is a human thing. Uh, dance is as well. So I would imagine since the beginning of time, the minute that music was came came out of the human condition, I'm sure dance was right along with it, no matter what the music is, what, and certainly with jazz. Now, I must say, the bebop musicians, the early founding uh, innovators of that music, basically are the younger guard of the swing musicians. So people like Charlie Parker, Thelonious Monk, 
Dizzy Gillespie. These people are from the big band era, swing big band. So th these people are, are, are still motivated by uh, dance sensitivities. It's not like they are not motivated. Now, later on, I would say the younger brothers and younger children of the bebop people became less, uh, let me see, cognizant of the, the dance connections or the body connections. But certainly the founding fathers and mothers of the bebop music were, you know, they had the dance in mind. In fact, Charlie Parker has been quoted as saying that when he plays, he likes to look at dancers because they make him play certain phrases because he can tell they are reacting to some things that he's playing. And when he would see the reaction, it would make him uh, react a certain way. Now, so people like Charlie Parker still were thinking about And I remember when I first saw Charlie Parker, uh, it was at a ballroom, you know, where people were dancing. So people did dance at the early uh, beginnings of bebop. Bebop musicians that were playing for dances, they just had to be mindful of the temples. That was the main thing, because a lot of bebop is fast music, and so fast that the dancer, the average lay dancer, would have trouble keeping up with that. So whenever people like Charlie Parker or somebody would play dances, they would just be mindful of temples, still play the bebop genre, but just slow the temples down. And most people would be able to deal with that. And then later on, as you say, it became, for whatever reason, more of a listening uh, situation. And uh, I've always felt like it should be both, you know, a listening situation, but also dance too, if you wanted, if people felt that. I've always felt that. So when you were assembling the personnel for this recording, uh, did you present it to each of them that, hey, you know what, I'm thinking of doing this jazz dance album or release or project. What do you think about joining in on that? And then tell us about who some of the staff are. Okay, well, yeah, they knew, about, uh, they knew what the music was about. You know, and some of these people I play with anyway. I play in the clubs. So let me name these uh, wonderful musicians. One of the pianists is uh, Jeb Patton. Another pianist is Randy Porter. Uh, the bass player is David Wong. The drummer is Billy Drummond. And Carol Stafford is the trumpet player. And there's a guitarist, uh, Yotam Silberstein, who is Israeli but lives in New York now for a few years, has been living. So that was the band. Also, that same band has played in clubs with me several times. And in fact, when we were doing the week that we did the record date, we did have an engagement at the Jazz Standard in New York. And that presented the opportunity to rehearse and play some of the music that we were to later record in the week. So these musicians were aware uh, of what this, uh, what the music was about and uh, from right at the, from the beginning. So w when you were putting this together, uh, you also have a vocalist on here. Oh, uh, yes. Go, go ahead, finish your point, and then I'll talk about her. 
Yes, uh, the the first piece that you started out with uh, on this in the Song of Songs was called Love Dance, and she yes. sang this in Hebrew. How did that come I, about? Well, uh, I wrote lyrics to this tune, and so the the Hebrew uh, she decided to sing the lyrics in Hebrew, the first part of that composition. The latter part of the composition are still my words, but in English. And uh, it was uh, her idea, actually, to, to uh, speak Hebrew. Uh, she was tutored by someone that speaks Hebrew here in San Diego. And that was her idea to do that, which was just, I thought it was just fantastic for, for, for that composition. She's got a lovely voice. She, she's playing acoustical guitar. I think she lent a lot of the uh, beauty to the CD her being involved. So that's Lorraine. Well, there, there's, there's no question about it. I mean, that, that particular song, to start that recording off, is yeah. beautiful. And, and I think it's indicative of what's to follow through the yes. rest of the project because it's just haunting, it's beautiful, it's, it's exquisite. Uh, well, I can't think of a better you. word. Yeah, thank you. And that was the reason, you know, why we put Love Dance first because we all thought we're wondering what what should be what suite should start out on this CD and the sequence of things, and uh, Camille and um, Lynn and all of us just decided that maybe the um, Song of Solomon, that those uh, compositions with that suite should start out first, and Love Dance was we agreed that that should start, and you're right that definitely kicks off. The whole, what the meaning of that whole, the whole Song of Solomon is about. Song of Songs, sorry. No, yeah. but it, it is uh, certainly Song of Solomon uh, that it was based on out of the Old Testament. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Lorraine Castellanos and Randy Porter also performed with us in San Diego. Um, so just, you know, they had, they had performed that music pre-recording it, which is kind of, kind of cool. They were part of the, the live live show That's as true. well with the That's ballet. Right. <laughs> so, so let me ask you, Camille, have, now that you've been a part of this uh, recording, be it uh, from the start as the inspiration for it, but also now putting it together and having it released as it is, have you had the opportunity to actually dance to all of the music, part of it? I was in all three suites, not in every single piece in all three suites. However, the CD, as you mentioned before, came out uh, in September and they started working on it. My parents, when was it? When did you guys first begin to? They recorded in December, so it has been a bit of a process, but um, 
I, I'm hearing it and being a part of the um, release is making me just anxious to get back to dancing. Just, you know, COVID obviously kind of put us, put the whole family in a different position for a while. So I look forward to being able to, to dance to it again. When we get back to whatever the new normal will be for all of us, Charles, uh, Camille, do you, do you think you would ever present this uh, piece uh, or this recording uh, in its entirety on stage somewhere, uh, including dance uh, as well as the music? Yes. I mean, this is uh, one of the things that we hope to do is to uh, take um, these suites and perform it with other dance companies if they, you know, if we can entice them to do so. So, yeah, we would like to um, do this all over the world you know, if possible. So yeah, that's definitely in mind. And um, of course, even with the San Diego Ballet, they might, you know, he uh, repeats certain things. Uh, so we might do something, even if there's ever a time where things are back to normal, we could repeat some of these performances. But um, yeah, it would be interesting for other ballet companies in the world to uh, be interested in in these and and perform it, you know, with their own, uh, you know, choreography. Sure. But with music, of course. Yeah. Obviously, and so let me ask each of you uh, a question, uh, but phrase it a little different for each of you. First of all, Camille, as a dancer, uh, as it relates to this particular project, is there one sort of uh, track uh, that really inspires you to move uh, and dance uh, or is that you really feel a connection emotionally passionately that is a, that's a tough question because I feel like all of the music really resonates with me just because I think I just think it's fantastic music myself there are some tunes that I'm partial to though I actually really like wedding dance in song of songs I know that's not either of my parents' favorites, but I really like it because I feel like the mood that it captures is a unique one. And so that, I, but gosh, it, again, it's so hard to pick a favorite. I love, I love all of it. Charles, then let me ask you uh, in, in a similar manner, uh, what, what piece strikes you the most? Was there one that it just really lit the fire for you? Well, let me see. I'm kind of like Camille because I'm, uh, for me, it's a, uh, the, uh, okay, the short answer is, for me, would be uh, Heart's Desire, which is part of the uh, Song of Songs, and uh, I think it's the second composition on the CD.
it's something to do with the majestic emotion of unrequited love and um, the deepness. I mean, because this is this is reflecting an aspect of the human condition that all of the drama and the uh, it's almost the craft of I don't care if you're writing music or if you're in film or you're writing a screenplay or you're writing a book when it comes time to engage in the human condition of sorrow or unrequited love this is this human feeling and emotion is where all of the goodies are for artistic expression and um, yeah because it's a, it's a deeper it's involving a deeper probing of self and of the human being and, and the feelings and to come up with the right uh, notes chords melody to express that is uh, first of all it's a challenge and it's interesting but it's something majestic about it because it's universal and uh, and it's kind of deep so uh, that song for me I, I just like that one you know I, I can't let it go without passing uh, in mentioning Lynn in this recording uh, and in this particular episode because Lynn was integral in uh, a couple of the pieces uh, that uh, were co-written by you, Charles, and Lynn, uh, mm-hmm. and those two being Hear My Plea and Nightfall. It's a, a, a great collaboration all in all for you as a family. Maybe we can yeah. have Lynn jump in here for just a second. Let me ask you then uh, about your your part in all of this. Uh, this is truly a family affair as it's being billboarded and rightfully so. I think the the thing the biggest part of it is the organizational skills that it takes and the motivation to keep everybody going forward on the same track. There was a little bit of collaboration with Javier occasionally. I I heard a question that you asked and I wanted to uh, talk about that for a second because the way Charles writes and the way Camille moves, Javier saw that quickly and was able to take Charles's music and use the best movement that he knew Camille could do to help them both really grow. This is not represented on this album, but there's a cadenza that he did on Reflection, Turmoil, and Hope, where it's just the two of them out there together, and it's just the most extraordinary thing to see, both the way that he was playing on it and how she was dancing, interpreted through what Javier could do. But um, the collaborative aspect of, of the, how the CD turned out has to do with so much of me more pushing and staying organized than anything else. The, 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 two, thing, the, the two tunes that I had something to do with, uh, especially Hear My Plea, Charles was playing Wedding Song. He was showing it to me and playing it over and over again, and it was just beautiful. And I sat in the background. I said, wait a minute. I think you have another tune. Listen to this piece in the minor key and can you imagine Lorraine singing it and it, you know Charles and I are pretty intense when we're working together he of course just wanted to play wedding song over and over again and I said no no stop and I made him listen to me sing hear my plea in the minor key
that was all my idea. Of course, he added on a ton to it, all of the um, harmonies and how to put it together. But that piece wouldn't exist, exist if it wasn't for me. And then when Charles was done with all of the music, and we had a lot of support here in San Diego, gosh, you guys have to get this, you have to get it recorded. Everybody has to hear it. We had both financial support and just, again, the motivation to keep that going. And I, I really am the one that helped get the whole packaging process and hire the publicist and all the stuff that Charles knows ha- has to get done but is not really very involved in because he's such a musical genius who feels like figuring out what photos to put on the front, you know, things like that. Somebody behind the scenes has to be uh, keeping it all together, Lynn, as you said. And it, it sounds like the three of you together are an incredible ensemble. Well, we thank made you. Thank you. good thank team. You. <laughs> the whole recording itself is just uh, a beautiful piece of music, uh, and it has something for everybody. The majesty, as you say, Charles, uh, There, there's also... Certainly an opportunity, uh, Camille, with respect to you, a a lot of opportunity for movement uh, through that music, uh, which can be portrayed uh, through your dance uh, or the dance of others. Uh, And all in all, it's just a a wonderful piece of of music uh, all the way through and through. To me, I I think it's it's one for the ages. This is classic music. Really? Oh, that's so nice. Very nice of you to say that. Thank you. I wish we had more time uh, to talk to each of you. How can our listeners learn more about each of you, uh, all of you? Lynn, what do you think? Well, Charles has a fantastic website. So if you go to www.charlesmcpherson.com, it's, he's had a, a long history, and everything is compiled there pretty easily to get through. If you Google Camille, there are a lot of interviews, and you can see her dance. Uh, for me, I'm a piano teacher, and there's not much to find out about me. I think mostly I'm a supporter behind Charles. I wish for the three of you that you have good health and happiness for your futures, and keep up the great work. Well, thank thank you so much. Thank you. you. And the same to you as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Charles McPherson and family. Our thanks to Ben Sidron for our theme song, Mr. P's Shuffle. Please join us for our next episode featuring a fun-filled twist where the tables are turned and the All That's Jazz team gets to answer questions from our previous podcast guests. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the app you used to listen to us. We have new podcasts every Wednesday. You may subscribe for free. We are now heard on all top platforms, as well as Facebook and our website, allthatsjazz.net.